2: Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyers Bay in Dunedin. I'm not joined today, by I'm Karatai from Fakatani because she's busily handing in her doctorate thesis this week. So it's all hands to the pump on that. But I am joined by Jordana White. Kia ora, Jordana.
1: Kia ora, thanks for having me.
2: Thank you for joining us. Where are you?
1: Uh, I am at home in Saint Clair, up on the hill, overlooking the beach. Ooh,
2: how was your bubble life?
1: My bubble life was mostly pretty good, actually. Um, I'm a bit of a, a homebody anyway, bit of an introvert, uh, and so um, I work, and I also work from home, uh, regardless of what's happening in the world. So for me, it was a, a pretty easy transition.
2: So, what is it that you do?
1: Uh, let's see, for work, so for my paid job, I am the trust manager for the Wildlife Hospital Trust. Um, so for those of you who listen from Dunedin, you might be familiar with the Dunedin Wildlife Hospital. Um, so I I manage the trust that runs that wildlife hospital. Uh, and then I have a couple of other roles that are voluntary roles. I'm the chair of the New Zealand Sea Lion Trust, and I'm a trustee for, the, for Predator-Free Dunedin. So all conservation roles, essentially so no no prizes for guessing what my passion is
2: (laughs) where does that passion come from
1: i think it's probably just rooted from loving animals as a child um i don't have any particular education background in conservation or biology um, or even science for that matter at all um so it's all just kind of a labor of love i think um especially when i moved to new zealand so you might be able to figure out that I'm not originally from New Zealand um, but when I moved here almost eight years ago I got really got involved in volunteering doing conservation work um, just because it really appealed to me and eventually somehow it, it progressed itself into a career which was not my intent but is um, I'm happy about it.
2: Well it's taking the that um, advice of finding the job doing the job you love and you'll never work a day's work in your life? Is that what it goes like? Is, is, is that how it works?
1: Something like that. I would say, yeah, I mean, I do enjoy my work. It is sometimes, you know, it's not always easy, of course. Uh, it has its ups and its downs, but um, yeah, I'm also not the kind of person that believes in having, I can't imagine having one career for my whole life or one job anyway. Um, I'm not actually even sure I have a career. <laughs> <Just laughs> I have had a series of jobs that, you know, I've been, good for me at the time and interesting and challenging at the time. And, um, and I think that's cool. People, if people ask me that question, like, Oh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Probably doing something that I couldn't possibly imagine right now. It's kind of how I'd like it to go, I guess.
2: I imagine if you go back 10 years, you didn't imagine that you'd be the trust manager of a wildlife hospital.
1: Well, if you went back 10 years, I wouldn't even have imagined myself living in New Zealand. So yeah, you're definitely right about that.
2: So what does the trust manager of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin do?
1: I do a lot of behind the scenes work. So people, it is a cool job. It's a very cool job. But a lot of people here, I work for the Wildlife Hospital and they get really excited because they think I'm you know, saving penguins and that kind of thing. And in a way I am. I'm contributing to saving uh, wildlife, but I don't do any of the hands on work with our patients. Um, so I do a lot of things like Uh, making sure that we have enough money. So fundraising, funding, um, writing grant applications, recruiting corporate sponsors. Um, I also do a lot of community engagement and outreach, so it's really important to us as a trust that we're educating people about wildlife, uh, about native species in New Zealand, and what they can do to ensure that we have these species for a really long time. So I go out and do talks to school groups, for example, um, telling them about what we do at the hospital and, and how they can help and other groups as well, not just schools, but uh, a lot of things like service clubs, Rotary, Lions, social clubs, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, events like Wilds New or the International Science Festival, we usually have some kind of event happening for one of those cool events. Um, yeah, so getting out in the community, doing that kind of thing is mostly I had- what I do and it's really, really enjoyable.
2: How did you get involved in the wildlife hospital?
1: Um, it goes way back to day one really of, of the of the hospital itself. So, um, I'll tell you the story. It was a fateful day <laughs> uh, back. Uh, I think it was, must've been 2015. Um, January, 2015, I was out volunteering for doc, uh, doing a day of tagging sea lion pups. And it was the first time I had ever done any sea lion works. So it was a pretty exciting day already, but. Also along for the ride was uh, Dr. Lisa Argilla, who you may, may know her name, so she's the head vet at the Wildlife Hospital. So she and I were introduced by our mutual friend, Mel Young, who was the dock ranger at the time, who was running the tagging day. And she introduced us and she said, hey, Lisa has this idea for starting a wildlife hospital in Dunedin. And at the time, I was working um, as a, a grants advisor, so I had, was doing a lot of work with community funding. And so she said, "You know you know funding and she wants to do this wildlife hospital. you guys should get together and talk. And so we did. so we sat down and had a beer afterwards, and she told me about this vision that she had for the hospital, and I said, yeah, that's we have to have that here, and I'm, i I want to help." And that's kind of that's kind of how it began, and I've stayed involved um, since then, and just about a year and a half ago I was hired to do the role that I'm doing now. so
2: I wonder how many of those. For a
1: long time, but.
2: I wonder how many of those good ideas don't happen.
1: Well, I tell you what, it almost didn't happen a few times because it it was really hard. <laughs> so we we struggled over the years, you know, to get things going and and to and you know, on top of working my full time job, doing you know, trying to get this thing going and trying to get people behind us and supporting us and figuring out the logistics and starting a trust. And I I have to admit, I did kind of mentally throw on the towel a few times just going yeah maybe I'm not the right person or maybe it's not the right time um, but there were a few cheerleaders in the background going no, no 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 you have to keep going this is it's such a cool thing and that kind of pushed me forward so yeah that almost didn't happen but I'm glad it did.
2: Was there a pivotal moment when you knew yep yeah, we can do this
1: Um, I I wish I could point to something, probably not, um, because all of a sudden I fast forward, you know, six years and I go, how do we do that exactly? It's not, yeah. Um, small victories, I would say more of a series of small victories. I think probably one of, I could point to one of the big moments was I had this, um, we had developed a sort of relationship with a staff member at, um, at the Polytech School of Veterinary Nursing, and she she had told us that their vet nursing building was not really used during the summer and that perhaps we could you know run a, a quick uh, summer pop-up hospital is what we ended up calling it. Um, and I had, so I was, I was called in the morning saying, uh, Phil Kerr, who was the CEO of Polytech at the time, he's got you know 12 minutes before he takes off to Mauritius to go scuba diving or something like that. And you should come in and pitch this idea that you have and so I went, right, I don't have time to overthink this. And so I ran over to Polytech and pitched him the idea of using their vet nursing building over the summer. And I explained what we were trying to do and, and how we kind of aligned with what the Polytech does. And he just went, yeah, okay, you can borrow it. And it, I just was stunned. It was amazing. And uh, that, was pro- that was probably the time when I thought, right, we have a building. Now we can maybe do this. But that was, yeah, I'd say that was a pivotal moment.
2: Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Pavement Gold Sounds. Why this one?
1: Ooh, uh, nostalgia mainly. Uh, this is probably, well, Pavement is one of my favorite all-time bands. Um, and I was just at the age when I was starting to really get into music when this song came out. I gold sounds And keep
3: to Because it's I don't like Is it a crisis when it's central so essential it has a nice ring when you laugh at the low life opinions and they're coming
2: In there, is it a crisis or a boring change? Our wildlife (laughs) seems to be in crisis, but we kind of haven't noticed. Maybe, maybe we think it's boring.
1: Yeah, it happens. It happens slowly sometimes, doesn't it? And you don't realize. And then one generation sort of just takes this this as the norm, and don't realize how it used to be a couple of generations ago when there used to be heaps of ho on the peninsula or something, for example. Um, yeah, I think just just slow, slow change is sometimes hard to notice.
2: So, what does the, the I know you don't actively work inside the hospital itself, but what you must be used to talking about it. What does it do on a, a, a daily basis?
1: So, uh, the just the, uh, just the basics uh, is that the wildlife hospital. We only treat native New Zealand species. Uh, and we are a veterinary hospital, so it is—it's um, not a place where we keep do rehab, for example. So we don't have patients in from. Generally speaking, don't have them for months and months. So on any given day, we might get a call from the Department of Conservation, and they say, "Hey, we have um, an injured hoio. Can you can you admit it? Yep, bring it in at three o'clock. So doc will will bring in uh, their patient." And we'll give it an exam, find out if we can figure out quickly what's wrong with it, get it some pain relief straight away, get it on fluids, maybe give it a feed, depending on what's happening. Uh, and then the next day that usually we'll get diagnostics. So for example, we'll do some blood work or to get some x-rays taken and figure out what to how to proceed from there. If it needs surgery, if it just needs antibiotics um, or something, something else. Um, there's a lot of food preparation that happens at the hospital day to day. We can have up to 38 patients at a time um, um, based, based on our doc permit and they don't all get fed the same thing. So measuring fish, chopping them up, um, which is a lovely job as you can imagine, uh, making fish slurry, which is much worse. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, b- blended uh, sardines and salmon and it's, really delightful and uh yeah chopping up fruits and veggies for the do, that kind of thing sometimes we have a little mealworm farm so we breed mealworms to feed some of our patients Um, yeah a lot of food prep and a lot of cleaning (laughs) wildlife is messy we don't necessarily notice that out of doors but once they're inside you definitely notice how messy they are and they do not clean up after themselves so loads of cleaning happens there um yeah then that's sort of the in the hospital itself.
2: And how long do they stay? Uh,
1: it depends. Sometimes we um, will just do an exam and find that the patient is uninjured. A really good example would be right now, uh, we're seeing a lot of city shearwaters. So this is the time of year when they decide to launch from their, um, from their homes and it doesn't always go according to plan. So sometimes they get turned around in a storm, there's bad weather, or they get drawn in by the city lights and they end up they end up on the ground. People find them uh, sometimes in weird places that you wouldn't expect, like a um, in Cromwell would be a good example. We had one come from Cromwell recently and one from Roxborough. And a lot of times they're uninjured, they're just really tired. So we'll just keep them overnight, make sure that they are uninjured, uh, give them some food, give them some fluids, and then we'll send them out the next day. So it can be as quick as a day. Um, and then sometimes we'll have patients, if they have really difficult um, injuries or, conditions or what have you, uh, it could be several months. We had two KIA that were with us for three months um, last year. So one had um, aspergillosis, which is a fungal infection that affects their respiratory system. And that's a really stubborn one that took us quite a while. So quite a range.
2: And then you send them back to somewhere else to do rehabilitation before they're released or can they go straight from there back?
1: Yeah. There are, some, there are some cases where we can release them straight from hospital care, but that's, I would say that's the rare uh, occurrence. So generally speaking, we will work with rehabbers. So uh, Penguin Place out on the Otago Peninsula rehabs all of our penguins for us. Um, they're fantastic. Um, so they have a, quite a good facility there that's sometimes chock full of hoi ho. And we have uh, the Dunedin Botanic Garden actually uh, rehabs our Kia and our Kaka patients um, and the aviaries up there. Um, the curator is quite experienced with parrots so she does the rehab there so yeah it's a bit and uh, project keter and green island takes care of our keter patients
2: and and is it seasonal do you, do you have like times when the the place is completely chocolate with penguins and then two or three weeks later they're all gone
1: yes yeah there's definitely seasonality to it so like i said right now may we would expect to see a lot of sooty shearwaters uh, in the summer. Definitely is penguin season. Um, summer's pretty critical breeding season for a lot of our native species. So summer's just generally very busy at the hospital. Um, but yeah, the, the seabird ward is really full of penguins. In November last year, we had uh, 113 yellow-eyed penguin chicks come through the hospital. So we would expect that November to be that uh, season. We see a lot of the the young hoi ho. Um, yeah. And there's, so, so this is about also the time of year we'd see quite a few harrier hawks or kahu as well. So it's definitely seasonal. Um, winter is usually pretty quiet, although that the word quiet is something we try to stay away from around the hospital because we find it a bit of a jinx. It's like, as soon as someone says, oh, it's really <laughs> quiet this week, then we'll get 12 admissions in you know three hours or something. So uh, don't let any of my colleagues hear me say that.
2: It's interesting hearing the words like ward so if, if, in terms of the the wildlife hospital it is run as if it was a a human hospital
1: yeah it's it's very similar people often do remark on that um if they're lucky enough to be able to come through the hospital um that, that I, I generally i like to ask people oh what did was it what you expected is it what you pictured because i'm always interested in, in what people think it's going to be like and most people will say, no, it's not really what I thought it was, but they don't know what to expect. But they, a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, it really is just like a hospital. So we have a surgery. We have an x-ray machine. We have a scrub, you know, room, um, a pre-operation room, a scrub-in room with all of our supplies and, and where the, the vets and nurses scrub in before surgery. And we have three wards. So we have a seabird ward, a forest bird ward and then what we call our intensive care ward or our quarantine ward. So we have, uh, yeah, it, it, it's run like a hospital. It is a hospital.
0: Bubble sprite of the forest of Oroku Nui, favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie.
4: Kia ora koutou, arahanui, kia koutou, are all having the best day with the full superstars and the beloved universes, My really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you. This journey that we're all on together has proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, a triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. So we've been through such a challenging time together. I'm so grateful for these five minutes with you. It made a huge difference to me Over the last more than a year, thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. Thank you all for being part of the show, so special. And I know that for all of us, as we are now frolicking about in relative freedom and undertaking new levels of freedom, like the Trans-Tasman Bubble and all these sorts of things, inevitably there is a mixture of feelings we can feel so many different things at once. And guess we can feel gratitude and relief, which is a wonderful way to feel. We can feel very, very grateful, very thankful for our freedom. We can feel very proud that we've all worked together as a dream team of 5 million. But of course we also can feel trepidation and concern, and we can use these feelings to motivate us, to make sure we're behaving in ways that keep ourselves and each other safe. And for me, during this time with you, I've found it so helpful to be able to reframe and recalibrate my daily experience, share it with you. And more and more I see that our feelings are great motivators, are great sources of fuel and nourishment for us. Of course, as we are also moving about in consensus reality and the hustle and bustle of our daily lives in this creation of the human world, it's so important that we're able to find ways to support ourselves and each other emotionally and in all aspects of our being. Of course for me the living world is a huge source of nurturing energy and inspiration I'm in the process of heading to Port Chalmers School to pick up one of my education team. And we're then heading up to the sanctuary and we have beautiful Balaclava School visiting us. I'm going to be focusing on Matariki. Here in the south of South Island we see Puanga, Rigel, Puaka rising as opposed to Matariki. But it's still a very wonderful time of year, time of reflection, time of learning to to celebrate with them, so very excited about that. And of course, for all of us, wherever we have arrived from, wherever we are living, as a species, we are so fascinated by the world around us. And culturally, the more we can do to celebrate this fascination, this curiosity, this love, this appreciation, the better I feel And for Matariki, or Puaka Matariki, it was all different aspects of the natural world which were being learned about and being celebrated. So today we're going to be looking for birds, looking for trees, telling some stories from Matariki, uh, looking in the waterways. So a really fun day, but underpinning that fun and fascination, a real sense of celebration for who we are the ever-curious, the ever-learning, the ever-appreciating, the ever-connecting. How wonderful. So I really hope for you, as we are heading into a colder time, this is an opportunity for us all to have more focus on reflection and learning. I hope this is something that can happen for you and be really positive and supportive. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Ka
2: You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Jordana White, We're talking about the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin. Jordana, you said that you spend quite a bit of time talking to community groups. What do the kids want to know?
1: The kids are really interested in learning about the actual patients. They like stories and anecdotes about individual patients, which is a great way to embed conservation messages as well. Um, So I I always come prepared with lots of pictures, lots of pictures of our patients, um, because that's what people are most interested in. Um, They are always listening very carefully when I talk about penguins being bitten by sharks, because I think that's a big, scary idea for them. Um, Lots of drama. And they are always fascinated to hear that we can help save penguins that have been bitten by sharks, because it does seem quite unlikely, but it is totally possible. Um, yeah, so that, that tends to be their favorite. I would say that that's the case across all age groups though. Um, and I enjoy what I, how, I, how I operate the talks really is, is almost like a quiz depending on the group. Um, so I'll show pictures of our, our patients and then get them to tell me what that native species is to see how well they know their native birds um, and that or native species, I guess we're not just about birds and it is yeah it's fun. all ages get sucked into the enjoyment of the quiz it's pre- it's pretty good
2: <laughs> do you give them names
1: sometimes our patients come with names already so uh for example with with hoi ho uh you know they they can be living and breeding in otago for you know tw- i think 23 years was the oldest hoi ho that we had so if the penguins have been around for 23 years the, the rangers tend to get to know them year after year after year and they often will give them nicknames so they, sometimes they'll come into the hospital with those nicknames um, an example we had one called Mr. Potato and there was in fact a Mrs. Potato as well however she didn't need any uh, veterinary attention which is good um, but they were called that Mr. and Mrs. Potato by I think it was Mel um, one of the former duck rangers and they had made their nest year after year in a patch of wild potatoes. So that's how they acquired that name. Um, And then sometimes we will give them nicknames. Usually it's based on where they come from. So we had one hoyo that was bitten by a shark that came from Crystal's Beach. And so we ended up just calling her Crystal. So not necessarily the most creative names, but it works.
2: You're talking about the conservation message and also about selling the idea of this the, to the people that fund it. What's the what's the selling point? How do you get people to engage in not just thinking this is a great idea, but actually coughing up with some money?
1: Oh, what's the selling point? Well, I think in general a lot of people love and connect with animals, and I think they're um, they're also. Animals are completely innocent, right? So that they, they've they've done nothing to deserve the challenges that they're faced with. Um, so maybe for some people, it's a little bit feeling like they need to um, atone for whatever contributions they've made for some of these challenges. Um, not not that they've you know, had a direct hand in it, but I think you know what I mean. Um, and others maybe just uh, I. A lot of these are iconic species and just iconic New Zealand species like kiwi, the yellow penguin, kakapo, um, and and people feel really uh, they identify with those animals really personally as part of you know who they are as New Zealanders and and just feel like they want to put their weight behind it. And I I guess there there is also too this sort of maybe it's coming back to that innocence theme, but uh, for corporate sponsors, it's really quite. Um, a low reputational risk to be associated with, say, penguins and sea lions, rather than maybe a s- sporting team that could get up to some bad behavior off hours.
2: <laughs> Although if you look closely at what the birds are getting up to in the evening, you might not think that.
1: Do you know, nature is pretty brutal. You're absolutely <laughs> right about that. <laughs> Sometimes, may, may, maybe not look at, best not to look at that too closely, maybe. Um, and I guess... If, uh, if some of our uh, vet team could tell stories about how vicious some of our patients are. We love them all so much. But yeah, they, we have the scars to prove that they're not always nice, sweet animals. Um, but you, want, you definitely want your wildlife to be feisty because it means they have a fighting chance out in the wild.
2: You're also chair of the New Zealand Sea Lion Trust. I don't imagine you can take sea lions into the
1: hospital. Oh, well. You are wrong about that. We have had sea lions in hospital before. Oh wow! Uh, we have had, we've had a sea lion pup in hospital, so he he, he did have uh, have to come in and stay with us for a bit. Um, and we have certainly also treated sea lions out in the wild, uh, out in the field. So we've got all the equipment, uh, all the supplies that we need to to go even do minor procedures under anesthetic in the field if needed. Um, so we have done that. We did have uh, a New Zealand fur seal that came into hospital as well, and that was an adult. So you'd be surprised at what we could pull off, um, but probably never a, um, a full grown male, for example. We're not, not really, I don't even know if we could find somebody to carry a 400 to 500 kilo sea lion.
2: <laughs> and you probably wouldn't want to turn it over in bed.
1: No, no. So it's, yeah, so we, we will treat the sea lions, but uh, better if we can do that out in the fields. Um, I don't know if you saw recently that the sea lion that's come up that was bitten by a shark so there was a great white that tried to make a sea lion dinner which is totally normal totally natural uh nothing against the shark at all it just seems to have missed a little bit but only a little bit as i think that sea lion just just got out by the skin of its teeth um it coming came up uh i think it was on allen's beach pretty pretty shredded looking and one of our vets went out and had a look and determined that um the shark didn't actually pierce the abdominal cavity it just only got through that really thick blubber layer and probably the sea lion will survive that injury which is pretty impressive um so yeah we do do our bit for those those big fellows too
2: so what does that other trust the new zealand sea lion trust do
1: so we are the only um conservation group in New Zealand working towards the protection of sea lions and I will say a lot of people get sea lions and seals confused so this is one of the things that we need to do is to get people to understand um, what sea lions are, how they, how they behave, why they're special and why it's really important that we learn how to share our space with them. Um, in fact just today I got a very alarmed email from a member of the public saying hey, I found a dead baby sea lion at the beach and thankfully included pictures, um, but it was a fur seal and not a sea lion. So we do a lot of education with the public as well, um, trying to get them to understand, um, just just really think the main thing is about how special they are. They're really interesting animals. They are an endangered species. We're incredibly lucky in Dunedin because we see lots and lots of sea lions, um, but they are in fact quite rare. So lots of education. Uh, we do monitoring along all of the, the beaches on uh, that, not just Dunedin, but most of our volunteers live in Dunedin. So we do most of our monitoring work around here, but also down in the Catlins and even a little bit further south towards Invercargo.
2: Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Ageless Beauty by Stars. Why this one?
1: Uh, I think the singer, Amy Milan, has the most beautiful voice ever. And I just really love listening to her.
2: Donna, we've seen lots of changes in society over the the last year. It's scary now that it's last year and not just the last few months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick?
1: Um, I think the be kind mantra is something of course I'd love to see stick. Um, at least that's the message we've been receiving here in Aotearoa. Uh, hopefully other people around the world are getting that message as well. Um, and I also think something that hopefully will stick around is is not, not making assumptions or maybe not judging a book by its cover. Um, you know, some people maybe have uh illnesses or conditions or something that means they're more vulnerable medically um even though they might not look it. you know might not look like somebody who's vulnerable um and we have to keep always keep that in mind we, we can't always assume what's happening with other people if that makes sense um yeah but maybe get that that's also probably an extension of be kind
2: one of the effects of the pandemic is that we all had that sense of vulnerability but for for a while and and still if you think about the the global situation that however tough we were we're all living through a pandemic that might have some impact on that sense of empathy for for people who are doing it tough for other reasons
1: yeah that's right yeah and i i think um for us personally so for my partner and i we have had maybe a not uh, we're really lucky to be here in, in new zealand obviously and we count our blessings for that um but we have experienced a pretty significant loss through covid um so my father-in-law died last year from covid um, and he wasn't a vulnerable person he was healthy he wasn't elderly uh it was completely unexpected uh, and then his younger sister fell ill with covid earlier this year and we thought we were going to lose her too uh so that's that's something um like we don't we just don't take that for granted anymore. You know, the, your health is so important and you're so lucky to have it if you have it. And that's something I, I think will stick with us for a really long time. Um, and and that that too is, is knowing that we're not invincible and the people we love aren't invincible either. And that's, yeah, we sadly we have learned that the hard way, but it's also made us appreciate things a, a whole lot more.
2: I'm very sorry to hear that. One of the things that we can take from it is that it's shown us that we can do stuff. If we we can, if we set our minds to making change, we can, we can do it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I, and, and, and why wouldn't we, we, there's no guarantee, right? So why wouldn't we take the bull by the horns or whatever metaphor you want to use and say, "I, I want to make this change. I'm identifying what I want to change. There's no time like the present because you just don't know. Nobody could have predicted exactly this would have happened and, and how how big and, and scary and, and broad it would be. And so there's no, boy, no time like today is there. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's stuck with, with me as well is I'm not gonna sit around and think about things for five years. I'm just gonna do them um, when I feel the time is right.
2: What's the trick to actually getting stuff done?
1: I would say baby steps and also um probably well definitely finding your support group your support system and putting things out there uh putting out your uh intentions to the universe or to your to your however however big your universe may be um i think we could probably circle back to the beginning of this conversation around getting the wildlife hospital started and you know it's like we didn't we we didn't didn't happen overnight it happened through very small steps over quite a period of time and was manageable that way and i would say that's the way to kind of approach any change
2: but putting out that intentions is that if you say it out loud then you you kind of have to deliver on it
1: yeah pretty much um and and you you make it you make it real as well just by saying it out loud don't you (laughs) you just you you, and 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 i also think and this is this is maybe more practical side of things but if you put it out there, people know what you're doing or what you want to do. Not only will they maybe support you and and encourage you, but may help connect you to others that will help you achieve whatever goal it is that you're trying to, to, to do, to achieve. Um, And, and you get extra help along the way. And if people don't know what you're doing, how can they help?
2: What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the The bigger sorts of questions that we face things like climate change or or biodiversity collapse or social injustice
1: Mm. oh that's a big question um what sorry what the question was what lessons yeah i think we have learned that we can do with a lot less than we have been doing with does that make sense i i don't think we need we learned to live with less stuff. We learn to live with less movement around the globe. Uh, we learn learned to do things ourselves a little bit more with what we have on hand. Um, maybe, maybe we've learned a little bit that we can have a simpler life and that having a simpler life has less of an impact on the earth. And I, that is definitely something that I would like to see people carry on with. Um, live a little bit lighter on the earth around you um, maybe stick a little closer to home.
2: I have some questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
1: Well, the last couple of years. um, Personal success, like career success.
2: Anything you like.
1: (laughs) Anything I like. Um, I think a big milestone for me in the last couple of years was probably being able to turn my passion for the wildlife hospital into a paying job. So I went from having a full-time job in a completely different field and essentially volunteering full-time doing the job I'm doing now uh, into one paying job that I absolutely love and having a lot more time on my hands. Um, So that to me was a, a pretty big step.
2: We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion?
1: No. <laughs> um. What is my superpower? Um... I would say I'll just go by what people on my team tell me my smaller team from the wildlife hospital, which is that I have, uh, diplomatic superpowers. So sometimes if, uh, if situations arise that are delicate, perhaps there are egos involved or people are angry or upset, uh, I have the ability to kind of slow things down, listen to people, make them feel heard and acknowledged and move logically through finding the middle ground it's not uh, an exciting superpower per se but it is it is important
2: and you just keep you just talk penguin in your spare time
1: yeah that's right
2: (laughs) (laughs) and do you consider yourself to be an activist
1: um do i consider myself to be an activist Yes, I do, because I am unafraid to talk about the things that I'm doing to be the change in the world that I want to see. And it doesn't mean that I do it by shouting through a megaphone necessarily, but hopefully by um, positively influencing the people around me and taking them along for the ride.
2: I've been asking that question for a long time, 400 episodes of Sustainable Lens, is it? Two hundred and forty-six of this. The number of Americans who have said yes to that is a very, very small number.
1: <laughs> is that right? Huh? Yeah. I, don't, I wonder why that is. Because um, we're really a bunch of loud people, aren't we? I mean, that, we we <laughs> we're usually not afraid to broadcast our opinions. <laughs> so that is a bit of a surprise.
2: <laughs> but the, the term activist. Is loaded, I think, in America in a way that perhaps isn't in other places.
1: That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, that that certainly could be. I, I, I think there is some, perhaps, a negative connotation with the word activist, which I don't. Um, I don't agree with that negative connotation. I think that, um, well, that's actually kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because imagine what the state of U.S. society would be without activism. I I shudder to think what it would be like without the civil rights movement, for example, um, yeah, we'd be much worse off. So I'd say we're that activist badge pretty loudly and proudly.
2: So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: What motivates me? Well, um, I guess... What has motivated me and in, in the most recent past is that i can see what i'm doing makes a difference and you you start to um that really buoys your spirits i guess to be able to actually look back and see see that you've been able to make positive change and have influence on an area that's important to you so it just kind of builds i suppose it's momentum isn't it that keeps building and going um, I also, I, I am not a person that likes to be bored. Uh, so I like a, I like a challenge. I like to be challenged with the work that I'm doing, whether or not I'm getting paid for it. Um, and I feel probably that in the last you know 10 years of my life that I have have a pretty clear picture of who I am and what's important to me and feel that I know how to talk about those things a little bit better than I used to. So there's some confidence there as well.
2: So what is that challenge? What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so?
1: Um, I would say there's two challenges that I'm what that I'm ready to take on. I don't know if looking forward to is necessarily the right uh, term, but one would be in that predator-free space uh, is predator-free Dunedin and working towards that uh, predator-free 2050 in New Zealand. Um, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's a lot of people say that's ridiculous. It's impossible. Um, but if we only set, set sort of a lukewarm goal, you couldn't get people excited about it. So you have to have this really big, exciting, awesome thing that people want to to get swept up in and get involved in. Um, and I really think we can do it in Dunedin. I think we have a really good fighting chance um, at getting people involved in, in, the, in the backyard level and then getting organizations involved in corporations and uh, all the councils and everything. I really think we can do it. So that's exciting to me. Um, and then in the sea lion space, I guess it's something um, we, we uh, I say using the royal we, uh, have seen lots of um, small progress being made in the population growing here uh, on the mainland. And I see, I really see that we're, we're approaching a tipping point in the population where we can, we can start to really get lots and lots of sea lions being born locally. And the challenge is getting the community on the ground ready for that to happen and ready to, roll out the welcome mat for sea lions and share the space here and that's a huge challenge and i that's one that gets me excited and and out of bed in the morning as well
2: and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners
1: i mean it's probably nothing completely original or profound but it's, it's touched on it a little bit which is just taking small steps towards the things that you want to do and the goals that you have in your life um and i think i just can speak from personal experience sometimes you want to quit and you want to throw on the towel it's okay to feel like that it's okay to sit with that for a while but then just get on with it
2: thank you for that thank you very much for joining me
1: yeah it's been my pleasure thanks so much for having me
0: Rings and crabs
2: their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Fat Cat and Fish Face Penguin. I'm Samuel Mann in Bay, Dunedin, and I have been joined today by Jordana White in St Clair. That was blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Ding-win, ding-win, ding-win. Ding-win, ding-win.
0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.